From thezebrablog.com, welcome to Before and After, the Furniture Refinishing Podcast. I'm Lane Ball. How do you become a successful furniture painter in under two years? I have about three tips that I think are really important when I look back on the last year especially that helped my business grow. And the first one is that you can't be afraid to start. And I know that sounds simple, but everyone has to start somewhere. And even if it's just a couple pieces that you have in your home that you don't love anymore or finding $5 flips that you can grab at a yard sale, you learn so much by just practicing and playing around with the paint and kind of figuring out what your style is and what technique you like. So I would say don't be afraid to start because it's always amazing to look back a year, two years later and, and really see how far you've come. Today we're chatting with Megan of Megdell Design. In a little under two years, Megan has achieved tremendous success. She has produced incredible results with her furniture finishing skills. Megan is our June 2019 featured artist on thezebrablog.com. Today we're going to learn more about Megan, her work, and discuss how to be a successful furniture finisher in under two years. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, hi, Megan. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me back. Well, I'm sure many of you remember that Megan won second place in the Zebra Diaries April theme contest of April showers with a focus on furniture painted in blues. Megan, you were kind enough to allow us to interrupt your trip to Ireland with your husband so we could chat on the podcast about your Art Deco desk. So we have to know, what was Ireland like? It was incredible. It was a place that my husband, Mike, and I wanted to travel to for a long time. So the fact that we were able to go there and then also Scotland for almost two weeks, it was it was phenomenal. Just beautiful, natural sites, the history mm. and castles. It's, yeah, it's mesmerizing. <laughs> So would you go back again? Oh my gosh, yes. I think if we didn't have a bulldog that does not travel very well, um, we would move there. Like it's just so really? relaxing and beautiful. It would be a very, very wonderful place to live, I think. Wow. Well, that sounds so nice. You know, our podcast producer, Ellis, took a trip to Scotland. His daughter lives in London. And I believe it was about, you know, at least five or six days that... Um, they went to, uh, to Scotland. They didn't get to go to Ireland, but they did go to Scotland. And he was just mesmerized by it. He said it was just absolutely beautiful. Now, how many days were you there? We were there for, we were in mostly Northern Ireland for about a week. And then we had roughly five days in Scotland. Okay. So we, we definitely saw a lot in a short amount of time. So I think it'll warrant a second trip back to visit some of our favorite places again. Yeah, for sure. Now, how difficult was it to plan where to stay and what to do? Was that a lot of work? It definitely was. I actually really enjoy that aspect. Like I could research and, and look up different places to travel all day long. So I did most of all of our planning. And I like doing that because it kind of gives you the freedom to really explore and take days down. If you are feeling a little tired, you can kind of just relax one day. So I did a lot of research leading up to it. So it was even more exciting then to see those places I had looked online for so long at finally in person. So it was a really great experience. Oh, how nice. I'm glad you guys got to do that. Now, did you bring back any old furniture pieces to refinish? Oh my gosh. No, I wish I could have. <laughs> there was the cutest little store. It's like an antique store run by a couple. And I every piece within their store, I was like, you know, if, if I had a means to get this back easily, I would yeah. be like cleaning you out right now. <laughs> there were some really amazing <laughs> antique pieces and just some of the life and 
even the existing finishes on them were stunning. So you guys live in West Virginia? Yes. Yep. We live in Morgantown, West Virginia, and we've lived here for about a year now. So native mostly to Wisconsin. So this is kind of the furthest we've been out this way so far. Wow, that is. Uh, so you, is your family in Wisconsin? Yes, all of our family still lives there, basically. So we're kind of the oddballs that have ventured outside of the, the cheese state, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you like it so far? You know, it has actually been really nice. I think after winter, I was sold because it was so nice and moderate compared to what we're mm -hmm. used to with like freezing temperatures and gray skies for three or to four months straight. So it was nice that we didn't get too much snow. We got enough to see it, but it was really nice that it wasn't bitter cold all winter long. Well, so tell us about yourself. I mean, have you always been quote unquote artsy? You know, it's funny because I, I would think that I've definitely had a creative side within me that I can remember. As far as going back or looking back at times that I felt the most creative, I was in high school drawing and painting. And that was just by far, I think, like, the most relaxing time of high school because mm. we would go into our classroom and just listen to great music and just create. So I did drawing and painting and a lot of portrait painting. So when I found refinishing furniture again, it really did seem like a creative part that had been missing for a little while. So getting back into that was a really important part of my life for sure. So you graduated from high school, then off to college. And how soon did you begin refinishing furniture after school? Yeah, so I actually, I went to school in U, at UW-Green Bay in Wisconsin. So I was a, a soccer player there. So I didn't necessarily wow. have as much time to do a lot of the creative aspects, but I went to school for business and kind of started making my way into that field. And truly, I just started working in offices. And from there, I was basically in a full-time desk job. So I definitely saw myself, you know, sitting behind a computer for 10 to 12 hours a day during that time. Mm. And that definitely takes a toll on you. And it was a pretty high stress environment most of the time. So I truly kind of found furniture refinishing as a creative outlet to that. So I was starting to feel like I was kind of losing who I was behind that desk and computer. And long story short, I kind of found a piece that I wanted to update. And when I started doing research, I found the glorious like refinishing world and how you <laughs> could just transform everything with paint. And so I, I basically took a class after I went into a store, um, actually the stockist in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where they sell Annie Sloan chalk paint. So Mm -hmm. I went in, I was ready to buy my paint, and I was like, if I can paint portraits, I can paint a piece of furniture, like, that should be fine. And I basically talked to the owner, and she was like, I have one spot left in my class tomorrow, you should come tomorrow morning, and we'll teach you all you need to know. And so I was there at 8am, and I had coffee in my hand, and then a paintbrush in the other, and it was like, I had found my home, <laughs> like, it felt mm -hmm. so good. And so from then on, I basically just started painting everything I could get my hands on. So it was a great transition. <laughs> yeah. So you were sold then after that first class. I mean, you, uh, you kind of locked in and started the process then. Yeah. It's funny because I, I really found it as a way to kind of really stress and just kind of find that therapeutic um, hobby, if you will, after a long day. And then after I started, I couldn't stop. And I was just like, what am I doing? Why am I, why am I behind <laughs> this computer? Like, and it's funny because when I did decide to leave my job, I went to work for that, that stockist. So at time for decor, and I still help do work for them now. So I would find myself painting during the day and helping do custom work for their clientele. 
And then I also would come home and paint some more in the garage. So my husband was like, are you going out there again tonight? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> and so I think it was, it definitely was a, a good way to ensure that I was passionate about it when I was basically painting night and day and I never got sick of it. I was like, yep, this feels right. <laughs> oh, what a great story. It's, uh, it's always fun to find out how people got into furniture finishing, what inspired them and, and uh, how they got their, their beginnings in it. So let, let me ask you this question with respect to refinishing. What part of refinishing gets you really excited? Honestly, it is, it's truly the painting portion. Like I, I feel like as soon as that first couple strokes of, of paint and the color you choose go down, it's like that transformation and in your head and what you can see it just starts to blossom. And it's so, I think for myself, that's like the most rewarding part is truly seeing the transformation. So that very first step after you put so much time in prepping it is really, mm -hmm. really exciting. Where do you find your inspiration primarily from? So you, let's just say you get a, a new piece in, whether it's a commission piece or something you've found, well, I suppose if it's a commission piece, you're probably going to have a specific direction from a client. But if it's something that you're going to just buy and resell, like, how do you know what to do with it? I mean, is it pretty, does yeah. it come to you pretty quickly? I think that there's certain pieces that you instantly have a vision for. And it's like, it's calling a certain color or a certain update. But then there's definitely been other times where I feel like I'm so unsure that I'll just start looking through inspiration. And that's where I think that the community of refinishers is just phenomenal because there's so much inspiration to choose from. And you see people using different paints and different colors. So all of that can be an inspiration in and of itself. But I think a lot of times throughout my creative process, it tends to be like, you know, you do a couple white pieces, maybe for a custom, and then it's like you're just itching for a little bit of color. So it's kind of like finding that balance between, you know, something that's really sleek and then wanting to do mm -hmm. a really chippy piece. So sometimes I feel like the order of which you're doing certain styles can kind of dictate, at least for myself, what I want to do next and on a piece that I get. Where's the primary place that you locate your pieces to refinish? Yeah, I tend to search all over. Morgantown is definitely not the biggest city, um, so I definitely have to search a little bit. So whether it be I try and go to my local restore, our Salvation Army, and then our Goodwills, but I'll also look on Craigslist and, and Marketplace for some of those mm -hmm. items too. So kind of a hodgepodge wherever I can find the, the pieces I'm looking for really. <laughs> you always basically have your eyes open and looking for the next great piece. <laughs> yes. Eyes are always <laughs> peeled even when the garage is full and my husband bless his heart. He, I, even if I find something after I have no space, I'm like, I have to stock up while I can, while I can find it. You know, there is a logic. It's winter's coming, you know, so it's always, it's always a hunt for sure. You guys are like squirrels trying to accumulate what <laughs> yeah. you can in preparation for winter. Yes, that's so true. <laughs> well, you mentioned uh, the class, the first class that you took, and you mentioned Annie Sloan paint. Do you primarily use Annie Sloan or do you step outside of that uh, particular brand? Yeah, I definitely started my painting journey with Annie Sloan and I think it's a phenomenal paint, truly like for layering. And I love the different accent waxes. Um, but I've definitely tried to step outside of that, especially this year. My goal is to try new products. And I've been really drawn to milk paint recently. And um, Kristen, who is on the podcast for her Chateau Interiors milk paint line, I really mm -hmm. enjoyed using that for chippy finishes and just some of that authentic, um, that look that you get with milk paint that you can't really replicate. 
I love that. And then I've also been using quite a bit of fusion mineral paint because I do have a stockist nearby as well. And they have wonderful selection of colors and the coverage is fantastic. And then with all of them, they're basically all low to no VOC. So I always feel really good about using a mixture of all of those different paints. So I'm excited to try more in the future. There's so many out there. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting, isn't it, to explore different types of paint. I know you mentioned uh, Christian with Chacteau Interiors. I mean, I, honestly, I've, it's um, she does such a great job with her paints because we constantly see folks talking about how easy it is to apply it, how good it is to work with it. And everybody's just really pleased with uh, with the results. Yeah, completely agree. And especially when you try a new product for the first time, especially knowing that milk paint can, can kind of have a mind of its own. It's really exciting when it does turn out and it is so easy to use because I think sometimes initially thinking about using it for the first time can be pretty intimidating. So do you ship your um, your pieces? No, at this point, I basically sell locally. So I refinish pieces to sell locally through um, a multitude of different marketplaces. But yeah, it might be something I'll look forward to in the future if I I um, can't necessarily keep up with the local market here, but so far, so good. Oh, that's great. Well, like you said, you always have that option in the future to expand your customer base. So that's that's always an opportunity for you. Well, we're going to talk in a few minutes about how you became successful in refinishing so quickly. Like, what are some of your secrets? But before we do that, I think your listeners would enjoy hearing you discuss a few of your pieces. As always, the pieces we discuss will be highlighted on our Meet Megan feature on the Zebra blog, since she is our feature for June. Let's start Start out with an old washstand that was your husband's grandmother's. And I have to ask you this, how nervous were you to refinish this piece? You know, I think knowing that it was more sentimental than most pieces that I do, I was a little like, I better get this right. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I really wanted to do it justice. And I that's like one of my second favorites that I've done, honestly. I love uh, that piece. Tell us a little bit about, because, and I really love the fact that you do the before and after often, um, because that's powerful to see what it was and to see what it's become but it looks and it appears that you've done some you had to do some construction on this piece some removal of some aspects of it so tell us a little bit about that and then did you do a lot of stripping and sanding and and then the paint you used yeah sure so um, basically with the piece it obviously being a more traditional wash sand there's some of the aspects that kind of dated a little bit so like the little backboard and then the spindled side rails uh, definitely didn't go with some of our more I guess like modern farmhouse decor that we have in our home. So I really wanted to kind of give it a new life. And so by taking that off, it was like instantly transformed. So I then started to really gain my vision for it. And by doing that, it honestly was a perfect entryway table for us. And so mm -hmm. what I did is I took um, citrus strip stripper and basically applied a nice like thick coat over the whole thing and covered it with saran wrap to help really remove that like orange finish that you tend to see on some of those traditionally old pieces. And it really worked well. I only had to strip it once. And basically by kind of following the process of removing with after stripper and then scrubbing and sanding, the spindles took me a little while. That was definitely a task. But then once I had that all sanded down, I was able to do a nice little whitewash over the top of it. So I used Annie Sloan, her old white, um, which is actually just a really nice creamy white that is not too stark, but it just added enough dimension to it. And then I sealed it with a clear wax. So it works perfectly in our home 
home now. And then the knobs that I found at Hobby Lobby were just like the little diamonds on top. I was so excited that those kind of just mm-hmm. really pulled it all together too. Between the the piece itself and then the, the knobs, the hardware, I mean, it just fits perfectly together. I, a quick Thank question, you. you know, when you look at the these legs and the intricacies of the of portions of the legs and you talk about having to, you know, have used some stripper on this piece, what techniques do you use to get into these really tiny areas that you really need to get the, the paint or the stain shellac off? How did you do that? Yeah. So basically, again, when I had the stripper applied to it, I did wrap it in saran wrap, which helps it not to dry out. So then uh-huh. the stripper can really pull off as much of that finish as possible. But following up with that, I used mineral spirits and like a rag that I kind of shimmied in between there to get all of the gotcha. excess off. And then they actually have like metal wire brushes. Sometimes those can work really well to get any of that buildup that you're still struggling to get off before you start trying to sand it down with your sandpaper. Because if you still have some of that on there and you try to sand, it really gunks up your your sandpaper quickly. So it's kind of making sure it's really nice and clean and removing all that excess before taking sandpaper and really getting into those grooves. So what does your husband think of the piece? Oh, he loved it. He He's so funny because he knew I wouldn't obviously sell that one, but he's like my biggest fan and supporter, which is just phenomenal to have him. But a lot of times I'll be flipping things and he thinks that they're going to go in the house. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> that's for sale. So he'll be upset. Like he built a, a coffee table one time because I kept selling the one that I had continued to refinish. So it was like, I would finish one, sell it. And he'd be like, darn it, where did that go? <laughs> so yeah, he, he loves that piece. It's like, it's nice that we get to see it every day when we drop our keys too. Our next piece to discuss is a 1988 Lane Cedar Chest. Wait till you guys see the before and after transformation. This is a huge improvement. Where did you find it? And what inspired you to finish the way you did? I mean, you even painted the fabric on this. Yeah, so I actually... Um, was lucky enough to scoop that off my mom's hands. So she's like a master thrifter, which is a disappointment that we don't live in the same city because she would be like my best employee <laughs> because she <laughs> finds the best things. But she had had it for so long and used it as like a toy chest for our grandkids. And now mm-hmm. that they're all older, she had no use for it. So she let me take it home with me after Christmas. And basically at that point, um, I had gotten a new can of Annie Sloan chalk paint, which was Paris Gray. And it was one that was now, she basically changed her line where it comes directly from the UK. So it's a little bit different color and it's very thick, but I was able to try that out. So I really was excited to open that right away and and get going on that piece when I got home. So by adding a little bit of black wax kind of in some of those detailed um, grooves, it kind of just added a little bit of dimension. So I really liked how that added a little bit of um, effect around those areas. And then, yeah, I reupholstered the bench seat, which was a huge improvement from the old floral. (laughs) And it was just fantastic too, because the gal who did purchase it off of me, she has two little French bulldogs who she sent me pictures after the fact, now use it as their lookout into the, the front yard. So it's nice when you know where the pieces get to find a new home and obviously seeing them with, you know, the bench seat and them sitting on it sure. is just so, so fun. <laughs> so what did your mom say about the, the end result? Oh, she loved it. And my sister was very, she's like, um, wait, why did that go? Like, I should have kept that. <laughs> so it's always fun there. I am so lucky to have such a supportive group between my family and, and obviously my husband. Well, so this final piece makes me 
sore just looking at it, knowing all the work that went into it. I mean, <laughs> you called it an in, uh, extensile table and you refinished it in red. Megan, what is in an extensile table? Yeah, so this was the first time I had ever seen a piece like this. And it was a custom piece that uh, my client brought to me. And it is basically, a, if you will, a cabinet, but it also has an extension table within it. So the piece is extremely unique where you can basically pull out the table front from the cabinet and then it actually holds up to six leaves. So when it extends, there's like a center leg that drops down to support it, but it is like a contortionist cabinet. It When I first saw it in person, I couldn't believe how many pieces he was pulling out of it. <laughs> and then it has the drawer on top of it too. But yes, it was a, a beast of a project, but it was really cool to be able to work on something like that too. And were you a bit overwhelmed when they brought this piece to you? I remember when I had first um, exchanged a few emails with him and I was thinking to myself, okay, this poses a big challenge in and of itself just from the scale of the project, but then knowing yeah. that obviously durability is the number one concern, just knowing that everything basically forms together and, and stacks within the cabinet. So making sure that it doesn't scratch and it's well protected was going to be a big feat to kind of overcome. Well, I mean, it's such a great, strong color to use. What uh, what brand of paint did you use for this? Yeah, so that's Fusion Mineral Paint and Cranberry and definitely a color outside of my normal like comfort zone. So I was so excited because I feel like it really did the piece justice and definitely mm -hmm. wouldn't have been my first option. So it was really exciting to see it all kind of come together in the end. Yeah, well, it, it does. It works perfect on this. And now you left the inside drawer a natural wood color. I think it was in the base of the drawer. Yeah, it actually, when I got it, had some pretty serious uh, paper liner going on. So it was really bright blue with kind of some flowers, but not like the cute kind. <laughs> and it was like, half there, half not. So my client tried to take some of it out, but it was very, very adhesive um, heavy. So it was stuck to the bottom. So cleaning that up and being able to kind of restore that drawer, I think my client was very impressed by that because he had tried to clean it up for like 30 minutes and was like, nope, I'm good. I'll let you finish that. <laughs> Such a nice job on that piece as well. Thank you. Well, so I know a lot of folks are saying, how did she achieve this level of success in such a short amount of time? Megan, let's transition into some feedback, advice, encouragement, recommendations to other refinishers or refinishers-to-be who want to know some of your secrets. So how do you become a successful furniture painter in under two years? First and foremost, I just want to thank you for even having me on because I, I feel like it's like a pinch me moment <laughs> because <laughs> I'm, I'm so honored just knowing how many amazing refinishers there are are out there. So I feel like within the last two years, I've definitely learned so much. So I really hope that some of this helps someone who may have found themselves in the position that I was just not that long ago. But I have about three tips that I think are really important when I look back on the last year, especially that helped my mm -hmm. business grow. And the first one is that you can't be afraid to start. And I know mm -hmm. that sounds simple, but everyone has to start somewhere. And even if it's just a couple pieces that you have in your home that you don't love anymore, or finding $5 flips that you can grab at a yard sale. You learn so much by just practicing and playing around with the paint and kind of figuring out what your style is and what techniques you like. So I would say don't be afraid to start because it's always amazing to look back a year, two years later and, and really see how far you've come, even though it may not feel like it. I remember not necessarily feeling very confident in myself when I first started, even just my Instagram account. And I just remember thinking, if I wait until I feel like it's perfect, 
I'm never going to do it. So I just would encourage anyone to, you know, put yourself out there. There's a great community that's going to support you. And you're going to learn so much in that process by just letting yourself begin. Yeah, that's excellent. Thanks. And then the second one, and probably the thing that I focused on the most this year was truly, it's kind of a cliche, but it it really does hold weight in that quality over quantity. Um, I know this year I really tried to focus on finding quality pieces that I felt fit my style or the pieces that I really wanted to be um, basically tackling as projects. And so I also really focused on taking my time with refinishing each and every one, um, because sometimes it's really difficult when you're first starting out to see how many pieces some flippers or furniture refinishers mm-hmm. are putting out each week. They're so efficient. But I think when you can really step back and take your time and, and realize that those are kind of some pressures and some different um, time frames you're putting on yourself, you know, if you just focus on doing all of the steps right and making that progression, you're going to find yourself coming out with a really beautiful piece that's done well and is going to last a long time. And then I think in addition to that, really also focusing on the quality of taking your time staging and then also photographing and editing your photos. It's almost like, you know, and I think Fallon does a great job talking about this from Market House Restorations that it really is your virtual storefront. So when you put in so much work to refinish a piece to the standard that you are, you know, if you can't take your time to get a nice photo, it's almost like you don't do that enough justice. And so I think if you can really take a step back and let yourself have patience And even if that means restaging something two or three times or taking photos of it again, like that's okay. You're going to, Mm -hmm. you know, find that your work is is shown at its best when you take your time. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head too about the quantity because I think that's probably pressure that everybody puts on themselves. And especially when you see, as you said, so many other refinishers just pumping out work. I mean, just tons. But the thing is, and the key is quantity will develop, you know, over time as you learn and as you become more efficient. So it just probably happens with the natural flow. But I I love that tip because if you're focused on quantity, then you're probably not going to enjoy the process and you're going to get really stressed out. So that's really good. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, if you're able to really enjoy that full piece and it almost feels like I've, you know, I've had pieces where I've really, I thought I did a really great job painting and I've gotten almost like, okay, now I have to post it. I'm so excited to get it out there and and (laughs) now try and sell this piece. But I remember taking, I don't even know how many hundreds of photos on my phone. And I was like looking through a closet with too many clothes and not having anything to wear. I was like, wow, I don't like any of these. And so by taking an extra day or two to just restage it when there was better lighting, it was like that piece then really felt like it was like, yes, it feels complete. And I was proud of it. So I think that that goes a long way. And then the last piece of advice I would give is to not be afraid to invest in yourself and your business. And I think sometimes when you hear investment, people initially think, oh, you have to invest money. And that's not always the case. I think especially with a creative business, a little goes a really long way, even just giving yourself time, whether it be like 15 to 30 minutes at night, you know, whether it be painting something or even just researching a new technique or a new product that you want to learn how it is to be used and how you can kind of perfect that technique. Um, 
I would say that I did make a few investments in my business that I am very, very excited that I did because I do think it helped move the needle. Um, one of those was Crystal from the Driftwood Home, her refinisher's guide. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was Fallon's um, staging guide from Market House Restorations. And I think both of those individuals were two artists that I looked up to a lot, especially starting before I even had an Instagram, you know? And, and so when you have someone who has been doing this and been doing it very successfully, putting tips and tricks and what they've learned along the way in front of you, it's like, it was a no brainer for me. I was like, okay, I cannot get coffee a couple times because that's a great investment. They're like 15 to $30. And it really just gave me a ton of extra insight as well as just inspiration along how to, I guess, improve my craft. So I think that those investments really made a difference and kind of helped move the needle in my business. So I hope that that helps mm. someone else. Oh, those are great. Those are very insightful in, with, in many respects. I, I want to ask you as well, uh, Megan, what are your aspirations? Where would you like to see yourself in two more years? So you've doing been doing this um, in two, it's been two years. So where do you see yourself two years from today? It's funny because I could not see myself at this point doing anything else. Like it feels so natural to me and it just makes me such a better person and so happy. So when I think about two years down the road, I think my husband and I end up moving around a bit. So I don't know where it'll be, but I would I would absolutely love to just continue building off of this business. And if I could have a small little small little studio space, little storefront that I could, you know, really kind of engage with my clients like on a face to face basis a little bit more. I love that connection. I love talking to people. And so I think having my own space like that would be just a dream come true. So I am, I'm hoping that I can be there within two years. <laughs> well, at the rate you're going, I'm sure you will be. Uh, we certainly wish you much success. Megan, it's not only been a real pleasure chatting with you about your finishing skills, but also talking to you about you and your family and your background. And then, of course, your incredible insight advice into becoming a successful refinisher. We really enjoy spotlighting gifted artists like yourself who are a part of this growing com- community. So thank you for taking the time to inspire others today. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me lane seriously it was an honor i had so much fun well you have a great day megan we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the zebra blogs before and after furniture finishing podcast today's episode is also featured on the zebrablog.com along with contact information for today's guest your comments and suggestions for future episodes are always welcome and we encourage you to share those by clicking on the podcast slide in our header at the zebrablog.com that's the zebra with an I.com. Thanks for listening and happy refinishing.